right. Good morning. We're, uh, if you could turn to Psalms 46, we're going to read it and we're going to talk about it. It's got one of the uh, most challenging verses in Scripture that I would argue is the crux of every problem we've seen in Scripture up until this point and will be the problem continually and also invites us into the solution, which, spoiler alert, the solution is Jesus because Jesus is everything. Amen? Amen. Um, Joe, I'm going to be all over the place, man. Sorry. Uh, we're going to have to skip around. Um, Joe in the tech booth, ladies and gentlemen. He's up there. Hey, Joe. Joe and Wade deal with the, what is it, about 20-plus slides I send you guys every Sunday morning? You're welcome. I love you guys. At least. Look at that. Listen, um... Hear, hear this. I spent an absurd amount of time yesterday when I was after a wedding, and I, I intended to spend about five or ten minutes just kind of refreshing my mind on some things I've already read. And then I just went on this rabbit hole of reading several peer-reviewed journal articles and tons of scholarly research. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cram it all in here because I don't want this to be a TED Talk. I could sit here and tell you these things are all true. I could point to the Saudi Arabia results. I could point to the Arizona results. I could talk about UCLA. Uh, I could talk about all these re research results. There's one paper that actually looked at 50 different results and categorized them into 16 different ideals. And uh, here's the point. We are the most powerful people that have ever existed in history. Look around. No one is as powerful as every human on the planet right now. We are so far advanced. I'm not talking about America. Don't scrub your mind. I'm talking about humans. Humanity is at its most powerful than it's ever been. You have a device in your pocket that could contact you to endless information. So much stuff. So many memes. So many weird jokes. So much stuff. More information. You can get on a physical Zoom call with someone in another country, even though if it's 3 a.m. for them right now. You could call them up, see their face, right? You could send them haptical information that vibrates on their hands so they can feel you. Now, they're not really feeling you, but that's the most powerful people that's ever existed. And we are the most lonely, anxious, and depressed people that has ever existed in history. Hear me. We're the most lonely, anxious, and depressed people. And unless you're the one sitting here who thinks, oh, I'm super secure. I've never seen loneliness, anxiety, and depression. Well, then um, get in line. There'll be about two of you because everyone else struggles. Everyone else who's honest is the most anxious, depressed anywhere we've ever seen. All the research, this is what I was reading yesterday. I was specifically reading research for smartphones and the connection to smartphones. And there is almost nobody arguing that there's no connection, by the way. There are a few articles out there, and the research is junk, and it's clearly slanted. It's something someone wrote so that they could be different in their little college studies. But in general, everyone agrees there's something about the, technology, the technological revolution that has cost us something. Social media has cost us something. It has cost us whatever the opposite of loneliness, anxiety, and depression is. Whatever you see the opposite of that, that's what has cost us to be the most connected, to be the most powerful, to be the most technologically advanced. Um, if you want sources on that and you want to wrestle me on that, great. I'd love to talk to you over. It's that information alone is worth several cups of coffee and wrestling with. But we're going to start there and acknowledge that. Most powerful people that's ever existed. The most lonely, anxious, and depressed. In the Bible... We've seen this pattern we've been reading. We've been reading through the whole Bible this year. And uh, one of the patterns we've seen is this idea of remembering. And I had a huge list here of verses, and we don't have time for that. But the word remember in Hebrew is zahar. It's like when you're saying, where's zahar? There's zahar. 
Her, right? Uh, if you're foreign, okay. It's the Hebrew word, that's terrible. Zahar, right? And the word means, remember, it is used 233 times in scripture. And it, it, to save you me telling you so many different references, and you'd be like, okay, we, we get it. It's in the Bible a lot, David. To save you from that, here's the point. God is the one who remembers. And the scriptures are calling us. God is the one who remembers his covenant. He's faithful. He is the remember in scripture. We are the forgetters. The word for forget is saha, right? Or saha, or saha. You don't care. It's the word for forget. It's 102 times. And again, if I could give you a bunch of those words, in general, all those scriptures tell us we're the ones who forget. We forget God's covenant. We forget who God is. We bring sin, death, adultery, pain, suffering into the world because we forget God. And there's so many verses to prove that point. And I think it's interesting that as we've been reading through the prophets, pay attention. The cry of the prophets is, remember, 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 you've forgotten. And God is saying, he said in Hosea, and we read it last week, you've forgotten. You're chasing after other lovers. You've forgotten me. We're going to read in Jeremiah. You've forgotten me. Remember and forgetting. Our forgetter works really well. Say forgetter. You've got to forget her. It works really well. And some of you know that because you just in general, I never lost or forgot anything until I got married, by the way. And all of a sudden, the last 12 years, I lose and forget so many things. I see a correlation. Not really. Um, man, but our forgetter works really well. I think that the reason that we tend to remember ourselves and we forget things the most, specifically we forget God, comes back to Genesis 3. And I talk about this every week, I think, but we're going to read it. Genesis 3, 4 through 6. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What's he talking about? Hold on. God created everything and it was good. And he created humanity and it was very good. Tov, right? Tov and Ra. Ra is the word for evil, right? And so God created Tov. It's good stuff. And then the serpent comes and he deceives humans. He says, like Adam and Eve, their name literally means human life, right? And so as they are here, Human life, Adam and Eve are there, and the serpent says, hey, you don't have to listen to God. He's, he's a little off here. You won't die if you obey God's command not to eat the fruit. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Ooh, who wants to have their eyes open? Does someone in here not want to be in darkness? You want to have your eyes open? Doesn't that sound great? Sounds sexy. I want my eyes to be open. I don't want to miss something. Oh my gosh, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Who wants to be like God? Ever play a video game? You can type in God mode codes. It's way more fun, right? You get to control everything. You're powerful. Of course, in a room full of uh, maybe some church people and stuff, maybe we wouldn't want to raise hands because say, oh, we don't want to be like God. That's, that's idolatry. Okay, but in general, the pattern of our lives, right? You could be like God, knowing good from evil. Here's what the serpent says. You don't need to listen to God because he's off on this. He's a little confused. Actually, you can eat the fruit because it'll open your eyes. Then you'll know. You can decide good from evil. You will be like God. And now just, just hear the allure. If you're a parent, do you want to be the one who decides good from evil for your house? Do you want to be the one who decides good for evil for your job, for your kids? What about this row right here, you people? Does one of you want to be the one who decides good for evil to protect these people, to love them, to help them? Sure, that sounds awesome. Have you ever seen a superhero movie? What do they do? They help us decide good from evil. Such a sexy message. We could be like God. And in this trying to be like God, we forget God because then it becomes about us. I teach about this so much that I'm skimming over right now, but you understand the orbit idea. You put me in the center, you put you in the center, we forget God, we bring about sin and death. 
You put God in the center, and then all of a sudden, he's the objective source of tov, of goodness. What's good in your life? How do you know it's good? Because of God. That's it. You want to do good in life? Who here wants to walk out of the room and do bad? No one wants to do that. You want to do good in life? God says, I am good. I am tov. You want to be good? You want to know good? You have to look to the Father. Why are we so anxious, depressed? Why, when I'm reading this research, it's like, gosh, no one is saying the opposite. Everyone's saying we are all struggling. Suicide rates for middle schoolers are higher than they've ever been. Kids getting into pornography, the age is lower than it's ever been. The, the anxiety that teachers are experiencing, talk to someone in the public school system. It's a nightmare. It's worse than it's ever been. I don't need to convince you of that. Type it into Google. Tons, tons of research articles, respected research articles. We're not talking about some New York Times blog or some mommy, daddy, eat kale and love the Lord post. We're talking about actual peer-reviewed research. No one argues this. Most powerful people, most anxious, depressed, because we forget God. I submit it's because we forget God. With that in mind, how's that for your intro? Is that dark? We're all sad now. Psalms 46. We're going to pull it up. We're going to read it. Take a breath. Let the word of God lay over you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains trembled at swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come. Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. That's how that's read, by the way, in Hebrew. Not be still. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Fathers, we read your word as we wrestle through this, this idea. Uh, we walk into, again, hearing about anxiety, depression, loneliness, as we try to make sense of what we forget and how we don't look to you. God, we open our hands to you. We want to believe that you are our refuge, our strength, a present help in times of trouble, that you are our fortress. God, may your spirit move as we look to you. Amen. This whole psalm is calling people to remember, not just any God, remember the God of Jacob is what it says, the God of Jacob. We could spend another 20 minutes on that. We ain't got time for that. But basically, why God of Jacob? Jacob, good guy, bad guy. His name, yeah, eh. His name literally means deceiver. No offense if your kid's name's Jacob. That's what it means in Hebrew. And the cool thing about your kid's name being made Jacob is that now they're talking about the God of Jacob. What an amazing thing of grace. This psalm isn't going back to, you remember Abraham and Moses, all the guys that we could say are pretty great? No, we're looking at Jacob, the one who wrestled with God, the one who was known as the deceiver, the trickster. That's the God we're looking at. Why? Because God brings good from evil. God brings tov from raw. I said we didn't have time to talk about it, and we did it anyway. Oh, well. This, this psalm is calling us to remember God, to remember God. And that is that remembering is connected to fear. 
Look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. There are people who talk about this sort of thing, and I want to just kind of maybe burst a bubble a little bit, but also make it even more beautiful. Who has heard the idea that there are 366 terms in the Bible, do not fear? Anyone heard that? It's a big thing in scholarship. People talk about it all the time. So some people argue, I think Rick Warren is the one who made it popular. Nothing against him. Great guy. He's retiring soon. Rick Warren said uh, there are 366 times the Bible says, do not fear. In fact, that's one for every day of the year, even including a leap year. Hooray, right? Interestingly enough, it's the most repeated command in scripture. But if you study it, the idea of do not fearing, the idea of releasing your fears is actually in scripture way more. Like I can't even, I couldn't even get a count for it because it's hundreds more. This idea of releasing fear and looking to the Lord, whether it ends in shalom, whether it ends in, in restoration or salvation, whatever the word be, this idea of releasing is all over scripture. There's something about remembering God. When we fear, we circle ourselves and our perceptions. We isolate we get a scarcity mentality. Oh my gosh, this isn't the way I thought it was going to be. I'm not enough. This isn't enough. I got to fix this. Oh, this is all on me. This is my burden. Clearly there's healthy fears. Come at me, bro. I know well, what if my kid's about to get hit by a truck and I'm afraid. Yes. Okay, sure. There are healthy fears. That's not the kind of fear we're talking about. We're talking about this fear that makes us isolate. Scarcity mentality. Lots of times our fear is rooted in lack of hope and faith. It's a tool of evil. The devil brings about fear, makes us look to ourselves. Oh, I can't control this. I need to do more. I need to do better. Insecurity, loneliness, these things all run the same path. Why do we fear? Well, the psalmist, he mentions the mountains are crumbling to the sea. The waters are roaring. Creation is literally being unhinged. If you walked outside and just things are trembling and falling apart, would you feel afraid? Yeah, because the world's falling apart, right? You've probably said that at some point in your life. The world's going to pulse. The world's falling apart because it watched the news. Does it feel like sometimes the world's falling apart? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's interesting because later it says that the nations rage and the kingdoms totter, which is such an interesting word. Say totter. Who used that word this week? Who, who wants to use it this next week, huh? Yeah. Quit tottering, my children. What a fun word. Uh, so interestingly enough, the Hebrew there, it's the same word, right? Uh, I think it's on the slide here. Yes, good work, Joe. So the nations rage, same word for roar. The kingdoms totter. It's the same word for be moved. If you go back up, you've got be moved and roar. What is he saying? Well, he's connecting them. You see when the world's falling apart? Whether you're thinking the world's falling apart because of politics, because of war, because of leaders that you think are corrupt, or whether you think the world's falling apart because just the, the fabric of nature is coming unhinged, God is our refuge and strength. Very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So we don't fear. Why don't we fear? Because of God. Because God's the one who actually controls things. I'm sorry if your president did get elected. I'm very sorry if the laws that you want to vote aren't voted. I'm sorry if this church doesn't have the polity you want. I'm sorry if our, our city isn't going the way you want. I'm very sorry if you wish things were different. The Bible tells us that the king is on the throne. And so regardless of your perception, the God of Jacob, the God of the deceiver, the God of the people who messed up, the God of you and me, he's on the throne and he's with us. More on that here in a minute. So what does it say? Who is this God? Well, God is our refuge. What's another word? He's our strength. Go like this. A very present help in trouble. He is our fortress. We got all those words? Yeah. Refuge, strength, 
present help in trouble, our fortress. We could unpack these. I could get all Hebrew on you and just really nerd out. Just think about the natural meaning of these words. What does it mean for something to be a refuge? It's something you run to and can hide in. It's something that will protect you, something that will save you. Think about what, a, uh, what strength is. You ever felt weak physically, emotionally, mentally? Are you tottering? Come on. You know what strength is. A present help? Man, how many of you just gone through junk? You're going through stuff, and that's, that person texts you. That person calls you. Something happens, and it just feels like, man, I'm, I'm not alone. There's something present God is present. He's with you. They say so often in grief that your words aren't as important as your presence. If you've ever gone through it, you know what I'm talking about. Just people know, hey, I'm here. I'm with you. He's a very present help in trouble. He's a fortress. What is a fortress? There's a refuge. You run to, you get saved. But a fortress takes a little further. That's a place that fights. That's ready to do battle for you. He's your fortress. Are you the fortress? Grab your sword, grab your bow. Let's go. Nah, he breaks the bows. He breaks the spears. He's the fortress. Our forgetter works really well. And I think we forget these things. I want to ask you, I want to kind of get in your business a little bit. What goes into your blank here? Blank is my refuge and strength, present help in trouble, and my fortress. What goes in your blank? What is your refuge? What do you find refuge and strength and fortress in? I think we can put a lot of things here. I've got a list. Maybe it's your success, your efficiency, how you hack your time, working out, my health. Porn is my refuge and strength. Drugs are present help in time of trouble. Alcohol is my fortress. Hitting the club, partying with people, just letting loose. That's my refuge and strength. Sex, prescription pills, my cell phone is my refuge and strength. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, my social media account, my LinkedIn account, how people view me professionally. This is my refuge and strength. My spouse, my kids, my promotions, my savings account, my girlfriend, boyfriend, my grades at school. That's my refuge and strength. I'm the best student in my room. I'm the funny guy at school. That's my refuge and strength. Me, my stuff, my time. I am my refuge. I am my strength. I am the present help. This is it. What goes in your blank? We want to be like God. We want to decide good from evil for ourselves. And therefore we forget him. We are God forgetters. Say God forgetters. God forgetters. So what do we do? God speaks to this. God speaks in this psalm. Hear that. God speaks. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I think I've made in the history of being a pastor here, I think I've probably made two or three different Memorial Minute videos on these verses because it is just constant. It's written on my board in the office. You can walk in there right now. It is a big struggle for me, and I submit it's a big struggle for you. I love relearning and wrestling with this phrase, be still, because you can kind of like hear this gentle whisper of like, be still, puppy, be still, be still, yes. No, come on, that's not what the Hebrew says. It's very different. No offense to Shadow the dog. Like the, the Hebrew is, be still, cease striving, stop, no, stop, be still. That's what we're talking about here. Why? Why is this a rebuke? Ah, 
Jesus uses similar phrases when he's talking to what? Do you remember? The wind, the storm. Yeah. And he gets up and he says, be quiet. Be still. And then what? Stillness happens. Stillness is a result, right? But the phrase is a rebuke. It's a command. Be still. Why? To know that I am God. To remember that he is God. The word know here is yada. Say yada. You ever heard the phrase yada, yada, yada? Huh? 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 That's the phrase. I know, I know, I know. That's the Hebrew word, right? It's Yiddish. Yada, yada, yada. I'm looking at Nathan to make sure I'm not too far off here. That's probably right. Um, so I studied it. It seems right, right? Yada, yada. It comes from the Hebrew phrase yada, to know, right? And he's saying, be still, no. Here's interesting. Man, catch this. What did the serpent say? You could know good from evil. You could know it. And this says to be still and what? Know that he's God. You could yada good and evil. You could be the bearer of yada. You could have all the yada. You've got it. Be still and yada that he is God. You are not. You don't know. The psalmist is saying, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Be humble, please, church. You don't know what you don't know. You are limited. Stop striving. Quit running around. Quit rushing. Be still and know that he is Lord. Look to him. He will be exalted because he is everything. Cease striving and be still. Listen, we've got to talk about this be still for a little bit. This is not our culture. And maybe you're the most chill person in the room, but you are incredibly an outlier. <laughs> Because that is not our culture. Walk with me in this. Our culture says to go, go, go. We value hustle. Hustle, boy. Hustle. Let's go. We value hurry. Hurry up. Get it done. I want it yesterday. Let's go. There are two lines at McDonald's now. When I was a kid in my day, we had one line at McDonald's. Now there's two. Say it. It's all go. It's efficiency. It is a huge deal in our culture to say that we are efficient. We have increased production. We have increased output. Read a book. Here it goes. Just look up Andy Crouch. Read some of his new books on this. Technology has a cost. We created robots to control the world. And by doing that, we've become robots. They control us. Our production and output, we don't create things to create anymore. Tons of research I can mention here, don't have time for, but we used to create things in our country. All cultures used to create things. We produce things now. Your production machine. How quickly can it get installed? How quickly can you do it? How quickly can you get to the next patient? You know I'm talking to you. This is your life. Everything you're being paid to do is efficient and hurried. No one wants you to do a slow, steady job unless they're paying you a ton of money to be an artist. And ever, Do artists make money? Who's in the room going to be an artist? Is that going to work out? Hardly. A few of them. Come on. Our culture is hustled and hurried. Go, go, go. Produce more. Increase production. Hack your life to buy more time so you have more time to do what you want to do, to be who you want to be. Go, go, go. When we focus on hustle and hurry, on efficiency, on production, on output, it puts, uh, it puts us in the center. That's it. We become God. That's it. Who's the God of all your hurry? Why? Why are you so hurried? Why are you trying to produce so much? Why do you need to be more efficient? Why do you need more time in the day? How many of you have ever said, oh, if only there were 26 hours in the day? Why? Why do we need more time? What would we do with it? We'd need more time. The very fabric of our culture and pattern of this world is to forget God and to look to yourself, to look to me, to look to each other, to forget God. 
people are paid huge salaries every year to market you, to research you, to gain your attention. That's what that device in your pocket is for. Attention is money. It's everything. It sells. I'm sorry to be the old fogey pastor. It's like, your cell phone's the devil. But come on, do the research, please. Go home and Google it. It's where it's at, man. Everyone's being paid tons of money so that you look longer, so you pay attention, so that you keep watching another episode. That's where their money is. So your eyes, your attention, that's what they want. Make no mistake, church. Listen to me. The world, the flesh, and the devil are a thing. The devil is a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. From the beginning, he said, oh, you could know. You could be like God. The culture, the patterns of our world, they are in motion to turn us away. And this isn't a message to say, get away from the world, it's all bad. No, we redeem it in Jesus Christ. More on that here in a minute. This is my father's world. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are fighting for your attention. They don't need you to give up all your faith. They don't need you to just go out and have a wild affair this afternoon. They don't need you to just, just decide, I'm, just, I'm going to set my house on fire because I'm crazy today. That's not what evil needs. Evil needs you to just stay busy, to just stay hurried. Wait, this is real. How many of you would, would say, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think, in the last week, you, you know that you should spend time in prayer. You know you should spend time in scripture. You know you want to spend time with your kids. You know you want to spend time with your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend. You know that you want to spend time just breathing. You know you want to be focused at church. You know you want to spend less time watching shows and more time working out. Who would say, I just didn't have enough time this week? X thing that's so important to me, man. I didn't have enough time for it. Why? Because the world, the flesh, and the devil want you to be busy so that you look back on life and just wish for more time so that you're hopeless, so that you're anxious, depressed, and lonely, so that it never stops being fear that governs your life. Man, I hope someone else is hearing this besides me because this is my struggle. This is every week of my life. And I had so many examples in here. I could say, well, I remember in January 2017 when I, I remember in March of 2008 when I got back from this mission trip. And then I, as I was getting down, I was like, I remember Wednesday of July 2022. My wife and I were struggling with this. I was angry. I was impatient. Why? Because it's all about me. Got to rush. Got to hurry. Why are we so hurried, guys? Because if we ever slow down, catch this. If you ever slow down, if you have to be still, you might actually become aware of your fears, your emptiness, and the hopelessness that actually governs your life. You might realize how self-focused you are and how much you have to be hurried, efficient, and produced so that you don't ever have to deal with the hopelessness that's there. Most powerful people that's ever existed. All research says we're the loneliest, most depressed, most anxious, and it's getting worse. I mentioned this before. I'm going to take a minute to mention it again. Uh, I'm, hello, I'm David Newton. I'm millennial. And uh, we, we invented and inspired and drove the train of social media just right through you all. You're welcome. Thank you. That was me. That was us. Huh? Is anyone there? Millennial, raise your hand. Right? Yeah, look what we did. Right? So we brought this machine in. It's an experiment. Right? And a lot of research says it's, it's terribly gone wrong. I'm not telling you to delete all your accounts today. I'm not going there. Calm down. Right? but I think we should start considering the cost of it. Here's a, a general understanding of the research. You wake up on your day off and you say, this is my day, this is my day off. You know what? I need to finish the first six seasons of King of the Hill again. That's what I need to do. And so, and oh, praise the Lord, there's a tub of chocolate mint ice cream chip in my freezer. So you spend a good 
20 minutes to eight hours watching King of the Hill and eating minty, minty, yum, yum chocolate chip ice cream. That's what you're doing. You have three sleeves of Oreos and gosh, by the grace of God, there's a bag of potato chips that no one's eaten. And you are just laying in your bed. You've never gotten out of your pajamas. You might not even have pajamas. That's not where you're at today. You're just watching your shows. Raise your hand. Yeah, you've been there, right? And then all of a sudden it's time for bed and you turn on your phone, say, what is happening in the Instagrammy books of face world? What's happening on the TikToks? And it turns out everyone was productive today. Everyone made money but you. Everyone worked out. Everyone tucked in their shirt. Everyone looks like their chest is popping in their polos. Everyone is so awesome. And you are a turd. You did nothing. You want to know why we're the loneliest, anxious, and depressed group? Because everyone is better than us. And that's what social media exists for. And that's the attention. That's what you're getting, that's what you're into. So that you look in it and you constantly live in fear and anxiety. I'm not saying you delete your accounts. There's a lot of great things that come for it. A lot of my family in Springfield, my grandparents, they get to see my kids. It's great. There's a lot of good things there. But as the church, we have to decide to be countercultural. We have to decide that these things aren't going to control us. We're going to point to Jesus. Scripture tells us to stop, cease striving, be still, know that he's God. Who is God? We did a series on this last year. You can go back and look, but Exodus 34, 6 and 7, God defines himself. Here's some words that God says about himself. It says that, uh, nope, not those. It says that he is, uh, the Lord is merciful. He's gracious, slow to anger, full of steadfast love, faithful, forgiving, but also just. Go back and read it. It's, it's the most quoted verses in all of Scripture, quoted tons of times. This is how God defines himself. He says to Moses, this is who I am. And then all the prophets, all the Old Testament people, even the New Testament people, they quote different versions of this. This is who God is. Who is God? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's full of steadfast love. He's faithful. He's forgiving. He's just. Over and over and over. And then Jesus comes along and we see all these things made complete. We see them perfectly. In fact, Jesus says, when you look to me, you see the Father. In fact, he goes as far to say, I and the Father are one. It's one of the reasons they killed him. I am the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus is all these things. He is just. Jesus is the perfect marrying of how a perfect God is also. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's loving. But he has to punish the wicked. We see that. That's the tension of Exodus 34. And then when we look at Jesus on the cross... The God-man dying for each of our sins. All of a sudden we understand his grace and love and his justice. Because someone had to die. Someone had to take God's wrath. Be still and know that I am God. How do we know who God is? Look to Jesus. Say Jesus is everything. When we look to Jesus... We declare Jesus is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Jesus is everything. Jesus is our refuge because of Christ's blood. It covers us. We are saved by it. We we go into it as a refuge. You can't save yourself. The hustle and hurry Christian culture says do more. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Be better. Please forgive me if I ever pastor you to do more, to be better. Here's the message that I have for you. Look to Jesus. He is your refuge. His blood covers you. And maybe his blood doesn't cover you. 
Thank God you're here. Thank God you're listening from home. You hear the gospel today that only Jesus saves you. Only he is your refuge. He is our strength because he fills us with his spirit, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He fills us with those things. It says that we receive power and receive his Holy Spirit. He is our strength. You want to talk about that? We go back. Back in, uh, in John 14, 26, Jesus says, when the helper, the Holy Spirit comes, I'll send him in my name. He'll teach you all things and he'll bring to remembrance all that I've taught you. Your forgetter works really well. You know how you remember? Jesus. Look to Jesus. His spirit comes in you. He's our refuge because of his blood. He's our strength because his spirit fills us. He's our present help because Jesus says, I am with you always. At the beginning of Matthew, it says his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And at the end, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. What's the last words of Jesus in Matthew? Read them with me. I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is our present help because he's with you. Look around. No matter how lonely, anxious, and oppressed you feel right now, you know who's with you always? King Jesus. Because he's your refuge. Because he's your strength. He's your fortress. He fights for you. He pushes off God's wrath. He took it all on the cross. You want to know how to be still and know that he's God? Look to Jesus. In my office, I have it written, be still, know that I'm God. And I underlined, know that he is God. Because I'm not good at being still. Obviously, look at me. I'm all over the place, guys. So fast. I can't stop. I, I, I can't stop. Pray for me. It's a struggle. My wife and I are like, oh, let's rest. Let's Sabbath. I don't know how. I'm bad at it. I'm learning constantly learning because I was raised in a culture that taught me to never slow down, to produce, to do better. You're never enough. That's my world. And I submit it to yours as well. But when I remember that he's God, when I have to sit and think, how is Jesus my refuge? How is Jesus my strength? When I have to preach sermons like this, I'm reminded that I can only be still if I know he's God. So maybe that's your question this morning. How do you know he's God in your life? What does that look like? How do you know he's God? As we stop, as we see striving, as we be still as the result, I want to give us some really practical things. There's a list that's going to be up there. Prayer, being still, worship, Sabbath, Lord's Supper. These are all things that surrender us. Say surrender. Prayer is an act of surrender. Being still is an act of surrender. Worship is an act of surrender. Sabbath is an act of surrender. Lord's Supper is an act of surrender. When you're doing these things, you're surrendering and saying, it's not me. I don't have control. I can get away from the production, the hurry, the hustle. If you don't know what those words mean, we're going to have time to unpack them this morning. Find someone. Say, man, I feel like God's wanting me to understand Sabbath, the rest that he commanded. It's a big 10, guys. Are you honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy? How am I worshiping in my life? What does it mean to celebrate Lord's Supper? We're doing that here in a minute. Praise God. You want to know why you feel busy, stressed, meaningless, and empty? Be still and look to Jesus. Church, be still. Show the world around you. Are we the kind of church that is known for our hustle and hurry? Am I accidentally shepherding that you guys got to go, go, go? I pray not. God, let us be a church that is still, that other people look to and say, it's countercultural, but we are not defined by the last set of shows that we watched or how busy our calendar is. We are defined by our worship, by our connectiveness 
in Christ, by our growing to know him, by looking at his word and being still, by going and declaring that we need to be still and look to Jesus. Prayer, being still, worship, Sabbath. Uh, one quick thought. Jesus says the most important thing is to love. Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. It was really convicting to me about a year ago to consider that 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is, do you know? Love is patient. How patient are you when you're hurried, when you're rushed, when you're busy? Oftentimes we spell love, what? T-I-M-E. I can't give time to my kids, to my spouse, to y'all. You can't give time to each other if you're rushed and hurried. Love is patient. If you find yourself hurried and rushed, you can't be patient. Maybe that's what you need this morning. That's my struggle. Church, we're going to move into a time of Lord's Supper here in just a moment. I want to leave those words up for just a moment. Prayer, being still, worshiping, Sabbath. And I want to encourage you to know we need each other. Y'all struggle with this. I struggle with this. So loop someone in. That whole thing of someone texting you and saying, how's your relationship with Jesus going? We need each other. How are you resting in the Lord? How are you being still and knowing that he's God? I thank the people in my life that text me that because I struggle. We worship together. We pray together. We be still together. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together because all these things point us to Jesus. Yes, do these practices on your own, but may we be a church that declares them together. Who is the God of your progress, of your hurriedness, of your busyness? What are the things that take up your time? What fills in that blank for you? Blank is my refuge and strength, the present help. This is the most important thing to me. This is my fortress. Jesus is our refuge because his blood covers us. Does it cover you? He is our strength because his spirit fills us. Are you filled with his strength of his spirit? He's our present help because Jesus says he's with you always. Do you believe that he's with you? Or are you forcing your life to be so rushed that you can't even see him? Jesus says he's our fortress because only he can protect us from the wrath of God, from our sin, from death, from the things that separate us eternally. Jesus is welcoming you. This is the gospel, the good news. Good news! You're rushed and hurried and anxious and lonely and depressed. You're super powerful, but life's all dark and depressing. That's what I just said. Good news, the gospel. Jesus is everything. He is your refuge and strength. He is with you. He is your fortress. We're going to move to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus specifically said in Luke 22, do this in remembrance of me. This is one way we do this together as the church. We worship together. We led you in that this morning. We worship together, right? We connect with each other. We go and declare the gospel boldly. We do all these things together as one. But the Lord's Supper is very special to us because Jesus told us to do it. And it's a specific way we remember that he was broken, that he was bled out, that he was killed so that we could be forgiven so that we could experience new life, so that we could be his church, the new humanity, see his kingdom come and his will be done. So here's how we do that together. Here in a moment, we're going to have a song play. I believe it's I Surrender All. It's going to play on the speakers. And I would encourage you to take a moment to open your hands and surrender all. Whatever's in your blank that is your actual refuge and strength, the things that you're leaning on that God reveals to you, may God and his spirit reveal to you the things that are causing us to forget him and standing in the way. And as you open your hands and surrender all, I'd also invite you to come get the elements up here. We'll have them right there and there. Um, Some people in the back will be passing them out. And take some time to examine yourself, to sit before the Lord and say, 
Do I really believe that you're my refuge and strength and that you're with me and that you're my fortress? And if you don't, I would encourage you to give your life to Christ right now. Come talk to me. I'll be up front. And after you get the elements and after the song plays, we'll guide us in taking Lord's Supper together. I'm going to pray, and then you can come and get the elements. Father, teach us to be still. May we know that you are God, that you will be exalted, that you are above everything, no matter what's going on in our life. I don't know how all all should respond to this, God, but I know that we need to look to you, Jesus. And I pray by the power of your spirit, despite um, the, the limitation in my words and study and, and all the distractions that evil brings in and all the things that we bring into this room, the baggage, the hurt, the tension, God, I pray that your spirit would pierce through that. You would pierce our hearts, that we would look to Jesus. For those that need to be saved, God, I pray that we would give our lives to you, that we would look to you and accept your salvation eternal life with you, a right relationship with you. For those of us who just continually put things in front of you to forget you, God, I pray that you would reveal those things to us in this moment and we would surrender all to you in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your great love for us. May we see your love. May you become greater. Amen.